Hello and welcome back to the Becoming Relentless podcast. I am your host, Eleanor McCabe. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Danielle Kusenberger. And today we are joined by our very special guest. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Kelly, Kelly Igo. Um, I'm a Team Haley coach and soon to be a registered dietitian, hopefully like one month away from that. Um, and I recently graduated with my master's in nutrition and health promotion with a concentration in entrepreneurship and a specialty in eating disorders. So um, I love all things nutrition and I'm so excited to be here today to chat with you guys. Well, thank you for coming on. We are so excited to have you and we're honored to be able to spread your knowledge with our listeners. So thank you. Thank yes. You. You're full of knowledge and value and I am just so excited. Also, you're just radiating. Like, <laughs> I just, I love everything. It's also your name. Kelly Igo in general, like everything about you is just like radiant. That's so funny. I love it. Thank you guys. I freaking love you. I can say the same thing about you too. <laughs> Well, we appreciate it. Congrats. You said one month until you are. Yeah, we're, we're hoping one month. So like, I'm pretty much done my review. I have six pages left that I'm going to finish today. And then I have to do a ton of practice questions because that's like half the battle is learning how to take the exam. So hopefully one month. <laughs> I have for any listeners who are in school or doing anything like you, what is your biggest piece of advice for them going through school and trying to juggle their goals all at the same time? A relationship, having a, being radiant at the same time with your personality and giving to others. Like, how do you do it all? Yeah, well, I think different things work for different people. I typically the way I do things is I go all in on it. And so I can be really extreme with my all in approach with school and making sure I get training done, making sure I work. And I am typically the type of person that kind of lets my downtime uh, sacrifice. And so when you're in a position like that, trying to find some way to create time for you in the midst of the chaos, even if it's like a five minute guided meditation. And that was truly like the five minutes I had to myself. And I would do a little five minute guided meditation. And that would help me to kind of recenter and calm my anxiety for the day because every day I'd wake up and I had so much to do. And that's when anxiety was highest for me. So finding some way to alleviate your stress and create some sort of intentional downtime even when it's really hard. Um, so yeah, I, that's my biggest piece of advice. Find a way to create time for you. Self-care, downtime, even if it's just five minutes. So, Did you do that meditation in the morning or did you have it kind of free flow? I did it in the morning because I find for myself that's really the only time I can get into a meditative state. And I think that'll look different for everybody as well. I think for me, once my brain gets going throughout the day, it's really hard to kind of slow that down. Um, whereas in the morning, if I kind of force myself to slow down immediately upon waking, it's more efficient for me. I don't know what the science might be behind that, maybe because you were just asleep and hopefully weren't thinking too much. Um, but I find for me, I can just relax a lot better in the morning and it helps to create a better mindset as I go into the busyness of the day. I love that. And I agree. I feel like in the morning when I wake up, mostly because I haven't been on social media yet, or I haven't seen any screen time or device that 
my brain is fully mine in that moment. Mm -hmm. And once you go throughout your day, you've given aspects of your energy and self to other people, maybe a lot of times social media, given our jobs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Therefore, my mind is elsewhere, not just within me. So I, I love that you do that in the morning. And I do feel like personally, it would help me a ton as well. Yeah, totally. I feel that so hard. It gets so busy throughout the day. It is very busy. And I'm sure I, I'm happy for you to have this time. You're almost done. So you get more time for yourself, more girl time with us. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm like, when can I come back to Texas and see my friends? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like need to get this freaking exam done. So once that happens, I'll yes. be fine. <laughs> come out and we can have an espresso martini. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know. I I'm saving it for you. You only need to go to the matcha martinis. Dude, I, you know, D put me on to matcha last time I was in Texas. And I'll be honest, I haven't had it since because now it's going to be like my Texas thing every okay. time I go. I was like, did you not have it because you didn't like it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved it. I just, it's going to be my Texas thing. It's going to be what I get with D. It's going to be my D drink, Aww, I guess. Oh, uh, I love yeah. that. And then we'll get our espresso martinis. You yes. know, and if yes, D press, you know, she can have her matcha. But <laughs> <laughs> I can watch. Yes. She can live through. I can have the espresso. You can I have can the espresso the minus the martini. The martini. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is awesome. Awesome, Kelly. Well, we are super excited to have you on here. I know that Noah and I really wanted to dive in and start with the social media aspect of just nutrition. Since personally, my biggest influence on nutrition getting into fitness was through social media. And I do believe that's probably true for most individuals since social media is just such a big part of our society today. There's also been a lot of evolution that has happened since three years ago when I first got into like nutrition and seeing the reels, low carb, how carbs are so bad. Now there's more education that carbs aren't so bad, fats, X, Y, Z. Do you see a lot of reels or education put on social media right now that are really holding people back from a healthy mindset towards food? Mm question. So I think it depends on the creator and it depends on what your for you page is sending to you. So I think for me, my for you page has changed quite a bit because I'm kind of stepping into this space of focusing on body image and intuitive eating and, you know, my interests and passions there. And I find that for people who are mostly following, say like fitness influencers, and that can look different depending on the person, but um, mostly, I don't want to say diet culture, but yes, diet culture type of content. Like here's the best way to lose fat as quickly as possible with this extreme approach or using Ozempic and keto at the same time. Um, those types of messages, that type of content, I think has become more abundant and it is problematic because it will create a disordered sense of eating for some people. And not everybody's going to be susceptible to that. And I think that's where some other people may say, you're being too sensitive to those viewers. And like, you can't be so sensitive and like, you know, watch out for everybody that may be at predisposition for disordered eating. And I hear that. And I think for, you know, certain creators in certain areas of fitness, um, it won't really matter if they do or not, because maybe their audience isn't uh, someone that's predisposed to disordered eating. But I would argue that the large majority of folks that are following a fitness influencer, they are at a predisposition to have disordered eating habits and, and get to that point. So I'd say it's definitely 
dependent on who the creator is, who you're following. I think there's been good evolution in many ways. Like, you know, there's coaches like us that are putting out content that we have a really good um, motivator behind it. And I think that a lot of our content is thoughtful to those people that may create disordered eating patterns, but I think there's still a lot of misinformation and unfortunately bad information on the internet. Um, So kind of just depends on who you follow. Is there a way that you suggest people vet who they're following? Like what are some signs or flags? What can people do to make sure that they're not following misinformation or creators that put out that kind of information? Because sometimes I think it's not as obvious. It's a little bit what's the word? Just um, nefarious? Yeah, it's like almost like deceitful in a way, but probably aren't like intently being deceitful. I totally get what you're saying. I think this is hard because somebody with a blue check mark in their Instagram bio that has 1 million followers and maybe a really sick physique, they're going to be looked at as a good source of information for somebody that wants to change their body. Whereas, you know, myself, right, I have like 6,000 followers and I don't have a blue check mark next to my name, but I have these eight years of schooling under my belt and a full-time internship, right? But because my page isn't as large, my page isn't going to likely get as much reach or traction. And so when you're looking to follow somebody, I do think it's important to look at their credentials, number one. They don't have to have a college level experience, but I do think whether they've worked with certain mentors, gotten certain certifications, I think this day and age, it is important to find a way to set yourself apart if you are an educator in the space to say, I have this credential. And that's kind of like something that does help to set me apart. Um, I think it can be valuable and make it easier for the consumer to find a reputable person to follow. That said, there are problems within the space of people who have certifications and degrees. Mm -hmm. So looking at their messaging would be my next recommendation. What's their message? Are they preaching extremes? Are they they preaching unhealthy ways of life in terms of nutrition and and exercise um, and, and kind of what they're messages and and taking a look at that. And does that message align with you? And, you know, I can't say to a person like that message does or does not align with you. They have to make that decision Uh, and trying to be an educated consumer as well and taking some responsibility for yourself. So like if so-and-so is saying do a 30 day fast of only water and cucumbers, then, you know, maybe take a step back and say, okay, typically I need to eat food. (laughs) I should probably look into this a bit further to see if this is safe. And if you're still not sure, you know, with the little bit of research you do, find someone like myself on Instagram or D or Noah and shoot them a message and be like, hey, I saw this crazy thing. Is this safe? Is this okay? And utilize the content creators that maybe you do feel, you know, you can trust and lean on those people too. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that we all like to interact with the people that follow us. We don't just like ignore DMs. So like, you know, finding somebody that's willing to chat with you can be helpful, but there is a level of responsibility for sure on the consumer. I really love that you pointed out doing your own homework on the creator or influencer or person that you're following because there are so many different levels to which 
or aspects to which a creator shares content. For someone like all three of us, we have grown with the science. So we're not just old school and this is the way like high protein, no carb, low fat, whatever. Mm-hmm. We will continually can learn to help produce not only the best content, but help our people, our clients, people that are influenced by us to also grow with what's going to benefit them. You have helped me be able to teach others how to intuitively eat since I had to learn from you. That was the best thing for me during my time of eating disorder a few years ago. So thank you. But it's a, it's, yeah, I really appreciate that. But one thing that I've taken away recently from you and I going through that is being able to realize that macros was my way, one way when I first started coaching that that was my only way that I was going to allow you to have a dieting method was through macros and if you couldn't hit, hit the macros maybe we're not a good fit that was my old way and now I realize there are tons of athletes that need different approaches to eating and I'm able to give these athletes a different approach based off their needs and what's going to help them mentally as well so thank you for that for allowing us to grow together so I could do that for my people I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. That is so cool to hear because like, that's all I ever want is to like, hopefully, you know, spread some of this freaking info I've learned from school and experience and like have it, you know, actually impact. Right. And so to hear that it impact you and your clients, that's so awesome. So thank you. And I think it's really awesome as a professional to be able to change your approach and like, let your ego down and be like, okay, maybe tracking macros isn't the only way. And I need to be open to another type of an approach to best help and support my client and meet them where they're at. So I think that's great. Thank you. Yes. I have a question that was not written on our notes and I really want to ask. Yeah. So recently I thought about this because you were providing the feedback of whatever your algorithm is giving you, you're going to feed into And I've been really into neuroscience of the brain, but along with that is the health of what you're feeding in the brain. I understand as a bodybuilder, our diets, especially in prep, are not the most beneficial for brain health. For example, I wake up and my first meal is my pre-workout, which is a lot of carbs, barely any fat. I don't have much fat in my diet at all right now. Mm -hmm. Based off my understanding for most individuals, it's better to have a higher fat meal, lower carb as your first meal of the day to help with brain activity. That may be wrong or energy. Okay. So my question, well, my question is what would you say for someone who is a bodybuilder and has a diet like me, or maybe just not in prep because prep's vastly different. You, You have to hit the diet. You can't just say, well, I want fat when I can't have fat in my diet. As a bodybuilder, what are some ways that they can structure their diet to best benefit their brain energy and performance throughout the day while still hitting their goals within bodybuilding? Mm -hmm. So it's definitely not wrong what you said about doing a lower carb meal and higher fat breakfast because there's the thought process that your brain will utilize more ketones and also utilize more fat for energy and your brain we'll use that as like an energy source. And some people do report greater clarity when their brain is functioning off of more ketones and um, oxidizing more fat for energy. So it really is dependent on the person. And this is where nutrition is so fun because yes, it's a science, but it's also a bit of an art and you can experiment with what's going to work best for you. So 
big thing here when it comes to brain health and just overall cognitive function and like optimizing that throughout the day is making sure that you're feeding your body regularly throughout the entire day. So like if you start your day off with a carbohydrate rich breakfast, hopefully we got some protein in there too. And I would recommend if you have the fats in your diet, put some fats at breakfast, create a balanced meal. I'm a big fan of like balanced meals are a really great way to fuel your brain and your body uh, because you're giving it all the macronutrients that it's going to utilize and wants in that meal. And I find for a lot of people that feels good. That's, that's a really good way to start off the day and it can be very helpful for cognitive function. Uh, also just general brain health. Uh, there's also the argument that we could say your brain runs off glucose if ketones are not in production. So um, for some folks, they're going to feel so lethargic if they don't have carbohydrates at breakfast. And everybody's body's a little different in terms of the oxidation of macronutrients. So fun fact, some people actually oxidize and utilize fat more efficiently than others and vice versa. Some people utilize and oxidize carbohydrates more efficiently than others typically in an active individual, so like a bodybuilder, whether you're off-season or in prep, you're likely going to utilize carbohydrates a bit more efficiently. That said, um, if you're in a deficit, chances are brain function, brain health is not going to be optimized at any meal of the day because you're in a deficit of nutrition. So Unfortunately, in prep, probably not going to feel all that much different no matter how you make your first meal of the day. Um, but if you're in an off season, I say chances are you need to be eating carbs at at least most of your meals, if not all of your meals. So I would recommend carbohydrates with breakfast balanced. Like I wouldn't recommend like have like, well, it depends on if we're talking female. So I'm going to talk from like a female perspective. Most females aren't going to have 100 grams of carbs at breakfast because that might be almost more than half of their intake for the day. Versus if we're talking somebody like Justin or Ross or Austin, you know, they might end up in a place where they are having a very large amount in their off season uh, for breakfast. But when it comes to females, you know, having a balanced approach when it comes to meal composition um, and, you know, thinking about blood sugar and sustaining blood sugar because that helps with your energy levels. So that's why I recommend do carbs, fats, protein, because that helps you sustain blood sugar the best. Uh, and if you can do complex carbohydrates versus simple carbohydrates can make a bit of a difference as well in terms of the release of glucose into the bloodstream. Um, when you have complex carbohydrates, there's more fiber. So it slows things down a little bit. Whereas with the simple carbohydrates, it's going to be a more rapid digestion. But if you're pairing it with fats and protein, it kind of doesn't matter. And that's going to uh, make sure that your digestion is a lot more stable and the absorption is a lot more stable. So energy is more stable. So it depends. <laughs> well, that was a great answer. And it does it yes. does help me for sure. <laughs> I do recognize based off the past years in an off season when I'm able to have fats, I love my first meal being more fat heavy per se, having more fats in there than versus higher carb, but with the balance, but definitely mm -hmm. having a good amount of fats helps me feel just more energized that day and like leveled out instead of crashing and having Dude, to... that's, that's so funny. I'm the opposite. Really? Yeah. I'm a carb girly. Yeah. That is interesting, but it's awesome. Yeah. I, well, so my breakfast right now is 
or my first meal of the day. I'm in off season is close to a hundred grams of carbs. That's my first meal of the day. And it's amazing. And if I don't have it, I feel it. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm, I need it. (laughs) How much fat is in that meal? Do you know? A decent amount. I have almond butter. 25 grams. Yeah. So there's probably like, there's, there's like 16 grams of fat in there as well, but it's like a hundred carb, 16 or 17 fat. And then I have two scoops of protein. That's a really good meal. Wow. It's yeah. funny. It's like 700, some 800 calories yeah, of meal one. He's eating good. Yeah. I'm eating good for you. Good. Noah, Dude, I know. I'm, so, I'm just kidding. Way to rub it in. No. <laughs> I just... I needed to say that because when you were like, oh, the big guys, like they eat that. You're like, I'm a big I'm girl. Like, I'm a big guy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a big boy. Yeah. yeah. Open bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> I love to see it. But it is funny. Like there's individual differences between all of us. And I like that you said that it's it's kind of an art as well. Like nutrition is a science, but it's an art because everybody's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And being able to experiment. I used to be like a big oatmeal girl, but... As soon as I switched to the bowl of gains, like cream of rice, my digestion got so much better. And I realized, okay, the big bowl of oatmeal I was having in the morning was actually not fueling me the way that I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And like having that switch, like I'll never go back. I love oatmeal, but just like not a bolus of it in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. No, I think too, like hunger levels come into play. Like, and I am very big on that. So if you're really not feeling hungry in the morning, like you might be good with just a protein shake and some coffee. And some people might say like, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. That's what I do for breakfast every morning, most days, unless I want to make something bigger because my appetite is fairly low in the morning and I start my day fairly early. And so for me, I feel fine on fairly low carb in the morning. I'm also in a phase of cutting. So that that goes into it a little bit. I'd probably have more carbohydrates with breakfast if I could. Um, but I think hunger cues too, that kind of helps to guide you and let you know like what your body needs. And once you kind of check in with yourself a little bit more so with that, you can kind of use that as some data to put forward when it comes to meal creation and meal timing and you know experiment further too. So yeah. I want our listeners to be educated on by you on on having carbs at night because I know a lot of the listeners are mostly female and they're either new to fitness or they've been in it for a couple of years and they're very into social media because that's people that follow us. <laughs> I also know that they probably most of them believe having carbs at night or before bed is not the best thing or is going to hinder their progress so i want them to be educated on the fact that it will it may not hinder your progress and it might be actually beneficial for you to have carbs at night to get better sleep yeah so i think this is the one of the largest nutrition myths as old as time to not eat past a certain time of day and i'm gonna just dispel that right now your body does not know when it's dark outside so like the whole carbs after dark thing is so just not evidence-based And your body is going to digest, metabolize those carbohydrates at 10 p.m. at night the same way it does at 5 a.m. in the morning. There is no difference. The nutrient and metabolism, the biochemistry that's occurring on the inside of your body without you even having to think about it, that's going to take place as it should, the same throughout the entire day, well into night. Um, I do think that there is benefit to having carbs at night for multiple reasons. 
Number one, there is a benefit to sleep quality, especially for those that are in a contest prep or a deficit, they're going to be more sensitive to this. So when you're in a prep or an extreme, you don't even have to be in an extreme caloric deficit. Everybody's a little bit different in terms of how sensitive they can be to that. But when you're in a deficit, your body's stressed out, it's in a place of famine. And that's how your physiological response is going to be. So you're in a more stressed state. So when you go to bed, if you're dieting or you're deep into prep, you may have really disrupted sleep. And that can be due to the deficit and your body's trying to wake you up and say, hey, girl, go eat. <laughs> your body like wants you to go and eat and be out of that deficit. And we can also see that there's a negative effect on progesterone production, which can also hinder melatonin production at night. Um, so if we have the carbohydrates before bed, that's going to provide your body with a sense of fuel right before you go to sleep. So it kind of decreases a little bit of that stress that it's feeling, and it can help with that production of those sleep hormones. Um, um, and help with that sleep quality a bit. I also think a lot of people, or at least the clients that I work with, and I'm not sure, you know, this could be a great conversation for us, like with your own athletes too. I find a lot of my clients struggle with eating at nighttime. Like they want to eat at nighttime. They want to mm. have a snack and they feel like they can't have a snack due to previous dieting history or whatever they heard on the internet. And so they try to restrict themselves after dinner to like, you know, get all their food in earlier in the day and not have snacks at night. And I think that can create a bit of a disordered relationship with food and therefore end up causing binge eating um, or overconsumption. It doesn't necessarily have to be a clinically diagnosed bitch, but you know, overeating at night, there is an actual syndrome called night eating syndrome. It is slightly different than binge eating, but it walks the line of binge eating. And it's when we see people either restrict a lot of their food and then eat a lot at night because they're so hungry or they get to a place where uh, they're just so restricted at nighttime and then that restriction restriction builds and then they're like, oh, screw it. Now I'm finally going to give myself the permission because I, I need to have it and it's more impulsive. Um, so I think from a relationship with food standpoint, it's beneficial to eat at night if you want to eat at night. If you don't want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, go ahead and have some food at night. Um, I know for my clients that are like in relationships or they're married, a lot of the time it's like end of the night routine. You watch a TV show, your significant other is snacking and they want a snack too, because like, let's be real. I like to have a snack when I watch my show at, at night. So I plan for yeah. that. And like, I have that and I make that a point. That's a priority in my nutrition throughout the day. So I have my little snack. And I think that it's important to allow for those things. So that way that sense of restriction doesn't build and you don't end up in a wonky place. Um, and lastly, another benefit to carbs before bed, if you train early in the morning, it can help you to wake up with fuller glycogen stores, therefore helping to aid in performance. And that's a, a little tip that I use with my athletes that train early in the morning. I say, let's make sure we have a carbohydrate rich last meal or you know some sort of snack before bed. And it does seem to help. So yeah, those would be the benefits that I can think of. No, I love those are very good points. Very yeah. good. I think the biggest thing that I hear commonly like within my athletes is their relationship with the scale impacts how they eat at night because they're afraid that if they eat at night, especially carbohydrates, that the scale will be up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I know what I say to them, but what would you say? 
I say to them, it's glycogen and water, baby. That's all it is. No need to stress. And I like to educate on the one gram of carb, three grams of water. And if you're eating carbohydrates a little bit later at night, you're going to wake up with fuller glycogen stores, which could benefit performance. And it's also not a reflection of any sort of fat accrual or uh, poor response to fat loss. Um, you may even notice, like, for example, during the weekdays, most people are up early. And then on the weekends, people sleep in, you know, an hour to three hours. And a lot of people may be hitting their new lows on the weekend because they're sleeping in later. Well, what's happening more so is there's more time for the body to utilize glycogen. And so glycogen stores are a bit more depleted upon waking, say on the weekend versus mm -hmm. during the week. So they may notice that kind of fluctuation too. So I also like to teach that when I, that kind of conversation comes up, because then it helps to reinforce that it is such a temporary uh, fluctuation and it, it can happen for so many different reasons. So. Yeah, I get that too, though. Yeah, I love that. I'm the same way, though. Education, I think, is key. And then if we have to go deeper than that, then that's okay. That's like a separate conversation of like, let's talk about the scale and your relationship there. But mm -hmm. I do think it's so important to educate on not being afraid to fuel your body and not restricting yourself at night or anytime, really. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I have two questions. I want to first ask what is the most influential piece of advice that you've ever received? Gosh. Okay. One second. <laughs> within dieting though. So you could within, within like we'll make within a specific, nutrition or yeah. Within yeah, yeah, dieting. Yeah. Nutrition. Yeah. Within nutritional guidelines. So the most influential advice I've ever received in regards to nutrition would definitely be eating disorder related things I've learned this past year or two in regards to the importance of flexibility and sustainability within your nutrition approach, no matter the phase. So I'm a big believer that even when you're in contest prep, like with how I prep my athletes, unless somebody requests a meal plan, I personally am a big proponent of the flexible dieting aspect throughout the entire contest prep, because I feel as though the more we can eliminate that sense of restriction, the less of a rebellion mindset is going to develop. And therefore, the prep is going to be more sustainable. My athlete's going to be happier throughout prep. Post-show is going to go likely a bit better. That said, there can still be challenges post-show with flexible dieting. That could be a whole different like podcast. But you know, I do think it helps. And so finding ways to eliminate restriction and create sustainability. And that looks a little different for every person. But I think that's like one of the, or if not the most important thing when it comes to choosing a nutrition approach um, and the success of it, that's been the most influential is the importance of that. I love it. So you actually answered both questions. <laughs> Number one was what was the most influential piece that you've received? And then what would you share with someone else? But I feel like you just shared that. Yeah. So two in one. Two in one. So thank you. I love it. A little two in one moment. Yeah. I think it's so vastly underrated. And that's why diets fail because they're too restrictive. You know, every fad diet that we think about is extremely restrictive um, in some way, shape or form. And that's why the diet industry is like a multi-billion dollar industry. Yes. It's insane. It's it's 
comical and not it's not comical at all but in a way because i remember when i first started my fad diet my first one ever of course i was like 200 and it was the drive to stay disciplined to the diet to see the results but the real discipline and the real what makes it really hard isn't the fat diet it's the the diet that's not restrictive that you get to stay disciplined to and teach yourself that's harder to do for people including my past self than it is to do the yo-yo dieting Mm -hmm. 100%. actually speaking of fad diets what is something that is really popular right now like What's a fad diet that you see that's super popular right now that is incorrect? Okay. So I have two things that come to mind. As far as fad diets go in terms of actual nutrition, I would say keto had its moment a few years ago. I still see keto. And even like a year ago, whenever like Liver King was having his moment, he was getting people to eat raw meat. And that started to scare me because I was like, people are going to get so sick from that. I don't see as much of that anymore. But I think- I will take so, my coat. <laughs> yeah, dude, like what? Um, I think more so than anything right now, as far as fad diets go, I'm seeing more focus on like elimination of red dyes and avoiding artificials. Like people are becoming really scared of that again. And that could be referred to as like orthorexia, which is when you're like focused on being like almost like too healthy and that's an eating disorder in itself. And so I'm seeing more and more of that where people are like not buying certain products because they have a certain diet in it. And like that's creating restriction because they're going to have to remove certain foods. And that eliminates a lot of processed foods, which are typically going to uh, be you know, a, a problem for people if they do pull them out completely because then they have that rebellion mindset. So I'm seeing a lot of that due to this new bill that they're trying to pass in California. Have you guys seen any of that? Let's hear it. I want to hear one. I haven't heard about this. Oh, no. Okay. So I'm excited (laughs) that we can dive into it because I, this has been like my little interest the past couple of weeks that I've been researching. So in California, there is a bill that's trying to be passed. It's called AB 418 for anybody that wants to go read into this more. And they're trying to ban red dye number three, titanium dioxide, potassium bromate, and brominated vegetable oil. And the reason they want to get rid of these ingredients in the food system in California. So an example of something that would contain this is Skittles. So like people are saying like, why are Skittles going to be banned in California? <laughs> Justin's like, and, oh, hell no. <laughs> he's like, I'm never going. I was never going. <laughs> yeah, never. <laughs> All right. yeah. So like they're looking to ban the food products there. Um, that have those ingredients, which is honestly quite a few products that we have in the US. And people are becoming concerned because in like European countries, these ingredients are already excluded from their food system. So there's this big debacle going on right now about our food system poisoning us. And is it safe to eat the food in the food system? And I'm seeing a lot of that lately on socials. And I was, you know, really interested in the actual research behind it rather than like the influencer that's like, I'm never feeding my kids. Uh, And like, that's okay if you don't want to consume those products, totally fine, valid, whatever. But when I was doing the research, a lot of the thought behind it or or why they're going to exclude it is because of ADHD in children. 
and the effects that they're seeing with certain products such as the red dye. And this can be for any other colored dye like yellow, blue, just colored dyes in general. But there is some research that uh, does support to an extent that kids with ADHD, if they consume these products on a regular basis, it can exacerbate the symptoms. That said, when I was looking into the research study itself, the design, I found it difficult to interpret the results of that as like an actual causal relationship because it was the interpretation of the teacher that was watching the kids or the parent or the babysitter. And they were like, oh yeah, they're, they're more hyperactive. So I'm like, I feel like we need a little bit more of like a hard piece of data to base that off of. I think there could be something there and there's more studies coming out about it, which is great for us to know more about, but I don't think it's to a point where we need to remove it completely from the food system because the likely issue is the amount that's consumed. So similar to the conversation of artificial sweeteners with like aspartame, people say aspartame causes cancer. Yeah. In extremely unrealistic amounts, it can cause cancer in rats. And we have similar data with the red dye that yes, in certain animal studies in high amounts, there could be a carcinogenic effect. Uh, so I think right now that's the biggest thing I'm seeing. And a lot of it is just not well supported. So I'll be interested to see if California passes it. I don't think there's enough supporting research yet that it will. I think more investigative work should be done first before we create a fear-mongering experience with certain foods. Because again, if we're now removing these foods from the food system in say California, and it's restricted from those, or maybe they could revise the formula, that could be an alternative. So that way we don't have to get rid of these products completely. Um, but there is an issue of that sense of restriction and, you know, what could that create for relationship with food for certain people? And like, if you're not giving candy to certain kids, they're going to feel excluded and that's a whole issue in itself. And so I, you know, I think of those things more than anything, but um, yeah, it's really interesting. And that's like the big thing I'm seeing. And like, also like not using plastics and, you know, just certain like endocrine disruptors, potentially, um, that type of conversation has been big on social media lately. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Would you say for the red dye and every ingredient that you listed, most of them, wouldn't you, would you agree that it's mostly in things like candy? So or it is, yeah. Like food, so more frost processed foods, just in general, because you're not going to find an apple with red dye in it most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so given it's candy, of course, most of the time, since it's just pure sugar, it's going to sometimes allow the kid to be more hyper at first, which so in, in, in a way, like, yes, that you might see that they are more hyper in that moment as with ADHD. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not saying absolutes. I'm assuming, but I wouldn't in my opinion, blame it just on the red dye. It's the actual product. Yes. That was another concern that I had when I was reviewing the studies was, is it the candy? Because for kids with ADHD, it can cause, and it, well, it can exacerbate the mm. hyperactivity. Sugar itself actually doesn't cause hyperactivity in kids. That that's don't incredible. Have, right. And so that's like another myth is like kids that have sugar, they're all crazy off the walls. 
No, not really. Maybe they're excited that they had a yummy food and they're happy and they're, you know, happy and excited because of that. But in terms of actual like hyperactivity, yes, kids with ADHD are going to be a little bit more sensitive to sugar. And that's a whole different, some, some people oppose that idea. Um, but I think that's a really good point. It's like to bring up, well, what are the food sources that people are consuming? And we could even spin that on the carcinogenic effect. Um, and I'm not saying that those foods cause cancer by any means, but I'm like, there might be something else to it. Um, when it's in a, you know, a, an animal study where they're like only using the dye and they're not using say food with the dye, cause they can do that in certain studies. Um, that might be a more causal relationship observed if the study proves it. But the research I was reading was really weak to support it. Um, and again, that's related to the cancer. You know, there is a certain dose of most things that are in our food system within our, just within our life that could cause mm-hmm. cancer. And so there is this thing called that the FDA uses as like labeling generally recognized as safe. And all lot of the colorings and things in our food system are generally recognized as safe. And that's because in the amounts that they rigorously tested, they found no causal relationship to cancer. But, you know, anything tip like in crazy amounts could have a negative effect on your health. Um, I like to use the example of water, like too much water can put you in the hospital. You could end up with low sodium and it's real bad. So like too much of anything is not good. And so with what our food system does, the FDA is they undergo all of these rigorous clinical trials. It's really hard to get something passed through the FDA and nobody come for me about the most recent panorama that we just went through. This is totally unrelated to that. Um, This is the food system. It's a little bit uh, different in terms of what we're discussing and the research that they did was quite a bit ago. Um, So that said, uh, the research that they found was that, you know, this amount is safe and generally safe. So if you have a crazy amount of anything, it could cause issues. So it's all dose dependent at the yeah. end of the day. No, yeah, that's that definitely helps me understand it, more. It reminds me of that principle that I think we've all learned it, the hormesis. Mm-hmm. Like there's like the bell curve where there's going to be too little of a substance. You won't see any effect too much could be dangerous, but there's like a good middle range mm-hmm. where it's moderation, it's balance. Yeah. And I think too, people become so concerned about food dyes and things of that nature, but they have no problem doing tequila shots on the weekend. And we know that's a known carcinogen. And like, we actively engage in that and we celebrate that in our culture. So it's like, I don't know. It's so, so interesting. <laughs> from It is. It's <laughs> extremely interesting. Like the, it also reminds me of what Justin says all the time, the missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. Is that what he says? Or is it the opposite? But it's like where you're so focused on the one thing and you're not looking at the whole picture. I think that's what he says. I think it missing the missing the forest for the tree. Is it true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what it is? It is. It is. Focusing on the micro rather than the macro. Yes. Like if somebody's so worried about red dyes, but they're drinking alcohol on the weekends, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that could be an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Your your focus might be on 
the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ask yourself. <laughs> and I think that's what makes it all that more funny because we all, like I consume alcohol, like I will smoke mm-hmm. marijuana, like I am doing things that are carcinogenic to my body. And I know that, but I'm not like, you know, demonizing my neighbor for having Skittles or whatever, you know? Yes. So it's yes. interesting. In like California, like legal weed, they have legal alcohol. Are you going to start outlawing those things? Like probably not because they make money. They don't really make a whole lot of money off this. So yeah. Interesting. It is. It's so fascinating. I'll have to keep an eye on that because my family lives in California. I also, <laughs> I want, to... I bet there's reach. I mean, you know, they've been asked like the marijuana alcohol versus Skittles kind of like you're going to legalize this and not that. I wonder I want to know their answer. I want to sit there and just like so come at me with your best answer cuz none of it's going to be good enough. Like <laughs> that's it. It's the just math is not mathing. Yeah. <laughs> but I think California has some other differences than like everywhere else in the country too when it comes to like there I know there's like a health warning about certain things that is only specific to California and nowhere else. I should have probably looked that up before I started talking about it, but I know that they have something. They have propositions. Um, you have to clarify on packaging like Prop 65 if it's safe and it's just for California. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they do a lot of their their own stuff over there. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting. And I say all of this today and it's, you know, 2023, this could all change in six months from now if there is a study that comes out. So, you know, I'm I'm always trying to keep up with what is truly happening in real time. And as of today, we just don't have the significant literature to support it. So that's kind of where my standpoint is on it. Well, thank you for opening our minds. We could all go in a rabbit hole later tonight. I know, like, I know right? Yeah, and I'm still researching more. I'm like trying to read more studies because I'm, I'm fascinated by it, especially with like the link to ADHD and the exacerbated symptoms in children. Um, and like, not that that's not important. It is important to know that, but it's not life or death. It's not cancer. So like, I think people are kind of blowing the two out of, not blowing the two out of proportion. They're getting them mixed up as to why mm-hmm. the bill might be passed. So yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, I love Insightful. it. Insightful. I'm- So much stuff. I think- do you want to finish out the rest of our questions? We have a lot. We have a lot of questions. Or should we pick the best ones? You pick the best one. Okay. Well, I think we're getting close to the time. So let's do that. The wrap it up one. Mm-hmm. Unless you have anything else no. that you'd like. Wrap to. it up for us. All right. So what is your best diet advice for someone looking to lose weight without tracking? Mm. So I think you can approach this in a way that can be productive for some people and for other people, it might be really hard for them to see progress consistently without having some sort of tracking mechanism happening. And that's, you know, I know we all know this, like we have some people on our roster that the second they start doing a little bit cardio, they're losing weight pretty easy. Other people, if they even look at going over their macros, 10 grams, it, plateaus them for the rest of the week or whatever. So I think for people that don't want to track, but they want to try to start say losing weight or or losing body fat, I would adjust your portion sizes. Look up myplate.gov if you want to use a portion control approach and 
take that little plate. It's going to give you some grains and about one fourth of the plate. You're going to have your protein on the other one fourth of the plate. And then half the plate is fruits and vegetables. And that's kind of the generalized nutrition guidelines that they recommend. Uh, and if you follow that kind of portion control and you have, you know, at least three meals a day, two to three snacks outside of that prioritizing protein, that might be a good start. I like to give a recommendation of having at least two servings of fruit three servings of vegetables when following an approach like that, just so you kind of get an idea of like, what kind of nutrients should I be getting in and have some like other goals to be hitting, even if you're not tracking, like, okay, I checked that off. I got that done today. And having protein at each meal um, and making sure that you're eating every two to three hours to stay on top of those hunger cues. So that way your hunger doesn't build, build and build, and then make it really challenging to follow your portion control approach. Um, that said, there is still variability with an approach like that. And for some, it might work. For some, it might not. And if you start to plateau, it might be really challenging to overcome plateau because there is more variability, like unknown variability. So that would be my recommended approach. Is it the best approach to really optimize the rate of fat loss? I don't think so, but you could try it and see how it goes but that would be my recommendation. Yes. That is an awesome answer. An awesome I love answer. that. And it would also going back to the brain activity, having meals like that, that fuel your body versus how little can I eat and that are snacks. I was going to say, you're yeah, going to operate so much better. Your I energy. Most people forget that they haven't been tracking already and they've gotten to the place that they're at and not listening to their body, just kind of eating whatever, doing whatever. And that's totally fine. But if your goal is to lose weight, it's probably going to be most optimal to do some sort of tracking. Because even if you did do the my plate portions, we as humans, when we eyeball food, we tend to underestimate. And I know we all do that. Because if I try to intuitive eat and then I go back and weigh it later, like most of the time, I'm underestimating. And I've been weighing my food forever. It's just we we want to eat a little bit more of the food. <laughs> and if you're trying to lose the weight and your hunger is really high, it's not – it's just like you said. It's just not the best to not weigh. Also on that topic too, if your friends are eating pizza and you went and you were like – you stayed disciplined not eating the pizza. So you won that battle. But you go home because you're so hungry. You smell the pizza. You're just hungry you're definitely most likely going to have a little bit more because your hunger is just way, way increased. Like, like it's going to happen. When I walk by Domino's, which is right by my apartment, it's not the, like, I'll be like fine before I walk by and I walk by and I'm like, oh man, I'm hungry now. And it's, <laughs> it's the senses. So automatically, even if I'm not really that hungry, it's the fact, well, for one, I'm restricting myself because I kind of have to right now. But for two, who doesn't want pizza? So I'm going to crave that. So you're just, you're more likely to do exactly what Noah said. Yeah. I think it makes it challenging. It, it's really, and that's where it gets tricky because it's like, I want there to be multiple different approaches. And like I said, it works for some people, but you know, when you get to a real hard sticking point in a phase, like a cutting phase, 
it really helps to know every little bit of data. And I do think that having tracking macros or a meal plan is going to likely provide you with the best uh, results in terms of the rate of progress and just like figuring out how to get through plateaus and minimizing that variability. So when you're feeling really hungry and you add that extra scoop of rice or whatever it is, um, you know, you don't run into that as much. So, but it could be a good way to get started. If you've never tried to change your nutrition, that would be a really good way to get started. And I do like the, for people who don't want to track macros, their entire process of losing weight, I think it's Mm -hmm. a great tool to use maybe for a day, a week, two days, track what you're already eating, understand where you're already at. And then if you, so you can know, okay, I'm way over my fat. My carbs are low. My am way over my, the fat that I should be in taking like a range of fat. Well, you know, you can pull back the fat, increase the carbs without having to track every day, just being mindful of where you're already at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a client right now who She's not ready to track macros and we're really in the beginning stages of behavior change. And she just writes a food diary each day. And we we don't even have her assigned like certain things that she needs to hit. She has that little guideline I just told you guys about the portion control. And, you know, she sends me her food log each day and this is what I have for breakfast. And, and she's getting into the habit of just bringing more awareness to her eating and her habits. And we've been able to do a lot of good work with even just that. So it's like, if you're really starting from like ground zero mm-hmm. and, you know, you have a lot to learn about nutrition, I think an approach like that could be a great way to start and you'll probably see some progress. Uh, it's more so when you're like six, nine, 12 months in and you're like, okay, now I'm not seeing progress. It's like, okay, yes. we probably get more strict. Sorry, but probably have to. So, yeah. Great advice. That was, yeah, that was a I good, really like that, that. yeah, I like that great, great question too. Cause I know people don't usually get that type of advice. You can't really Google that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was great. All right. Well, Thank you, Kelly. Yes. We're going to have you back. Yeah, I would love soon. to have you back on. I'd um, love that. What is one thing that you're looking forward to this week? Honey, I am ready to move out of this apartment. It is giving such chaotic energy. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm so excited. So moving to my little coastal town and embarking on my next chapter of life, honestly, this week. So good timing. Good question and good timing. Yeah, we are so excited. When a we new adventure. Yes. And when we have you back, you're gonna be all moved in. Stress will yeah. be low. You're gonna be registered dietitian. You're gonna have all these accomplishments. Yes. Hopefully, yes. No, no definitely. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. Hopefully this exam works out like I hope it does in November. And uh, hope it gets put in the work. We're inspired by you always. And we are always on our minds. So thank you so much. Yes. Oh, thank you, thank you for spending your morning with us. We love chatting thank with you. Thank you for having me. It was so fun seeing you guys and chatting with you. And I really appreciate you having me on. Yes, anytime. Tell tell our listeners where they can find you. So you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. And it's just my name, at Kelly Igo. I'm also on TikTok. And it's at Kelly Igo on TikTok. And I have a podcast that's been on a solid pause for some time as I've been finishing school and studying for this exam, but we're looking to revamp it once the exam is done. Um, And right now it is called Barbell's Bikini and No BS. And there are some pretty decent old episodes on there in, in terms of nutrition information that are still pertinent to today. So you can check those out, but uh It'll be cool to have a new rebrand launch of that in the upcoming months. So, yeah. 
Thank you so much, Kelly. We appreciate you and your radiant energy, and we're excited to have you back next time. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you all on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Becoming Relentless. We hope that you leave this podcast feeling really relentless. That's what our goal is here. Please leave us a five-star review. If you want to reach us, you can reach us through DM. My Instagram is Neil Kissenberger. Noah, where can they find you? My Instagram is Noah McCabe underscore IFBB Pro. And our Becoming Relentless podcast Instagram will also be linked in the bio. Make sure that y'all keep coming back every week. Like, share, subscribe. We love being tagged in your stories. And as always, uh, leave us a comment, any questions, and we'll catch you on the next one.